Hello and welcome to the Novel Traveller podcast. My name is Michelle Walsh-Jackson and I'm the Novel Traveller. Well, I can't believe we're already on episode four of the podcast series. I'm amazed at how quickly time is flying by, even when I'm not getting a chance to indulge in what I love doing most, which is travelling. But at least having this podcast means we can talk about it. Last year I spent some time in the lovely Munster Vales and this week I caught up with Trian O'Mahony who is the tourism officer of the region. She'll tell you about some nice ideas for things to do in the area and some new activities that are coming on board. But for my main interview I've been looking forward to meeting this guest ever since I first heard his dulcet tones down the radio many years ago. He's now presenter on RTE Gold Daily and he is host of the book show on RT Radio 1. It is, of course, Rick O'Shea. And if you love books, then be sure to follow his wonderful book club page on Facebook. Rick is full of surprises, so sit back, relax, and join us as we remember some of our novel travels. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And this lovely. is great. I like to talk about something I don't normally get to talk about. I travel. This is great. Isn't it, isn't it? And I think we have never needed to speak about travel more than now that we're all kind of locked down and we can't travel. So I just really think I want to give, give listeners a chance to uh, you know, remember experiences that they've had and maybe think about where they'd like to go on their bucket list or what they'd like to do in the future. Be, this this will be super. And again, I, I suppose it's weird because normally anytime I'm ever asked to do anything, I get to talk about stuff that I do for work and I get to talk about, about radio stuff and about book stuff and I get to talk about anything else that I'm involved in. Nobody ever goes, do you like travel? Is that really yeah. something you like? Do you go places? And then you get to talk about that as well. And it yeah. is, it's... It, my major hobby in life like for myself and my wife this is what we we do we don't spend lots of money on stupid stuff we don't have a huge mortgage with a stupid house we we know whenever we have money it all goes in one place and then that goes on on, on going to other places yeah you're my, my sort of person rick i couldn't agree more and my children you know uh they've got dragged around the world uh and and there was a time when they'd say mom we're kind of tired they're not saying that to me now they say oh mom we used to make us go here there <laughs> I can understand that completely. Absolutely. We're all in the same boat now. So I asked you actually, uh, Rick, if you had a memento or something that you you keep and cherish from a place where you were on holidays. Is there something? I, do you know what? I have loads. I've sent you a picture, so but it doesn't matter because I have it here with me. I've... Uh... I have loads. I have uh, a little piece of barbed wire from the DMZ uh, between North and South Korea. Oh. I have um, a piece of Alcatraz. I have. I also tend to steal bits. Yeah, that, this this doesn't sound absolutely. It sounds rather naughty. <laughs> it to be fair, the DMZ thing and the and the and the uh, uh, and, and the one from uh, from Alcatraz. Alcatraz they were selling as souvenirs because they'd knocked down things and replaced them with other things. Right. So they were selling bits of stuff as souvenirs. Okay. But every now and then I find something that's fallen off, you know, the forum in Rome and I go, I love that's that. <laughs> but no, what, I, what I've done is, can you see, the, sorry, can you see this here? Can you see what that is? Sure. Um, I can't quite, it's, it's like one of those little containers where they hold little novelty toys. Is it an insect or something? There you go. It looks like that. No, it looks exactly like one of those things you get in the inside of a Kinder Surprise. Yes. Um, but it's not. And if you want to ask me during this what that is and why it's so cherished, I'll tell you why. Okay. 
Okay, right. Okay, that well. Well, I was kind of just going to go uh, talk the way we are now. So, okay, you well, you far far ahead. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go for a manic minute, Rick, and this will give me an idea really of what your preferences are. So you just kind of have to answer what either or which one you kind of like the best. So we'll start okay. with with a food, Chinese or Indian. Uh, Indian always. Indian travel by boat or train. Uh, well, I like boats. I like boats a lot. Okay. A visit to a vineyard or a distillery? Vineyards always, distilleries are really dull places and vineyards are always really interesting, even though I like my whiskey. Right. Okay. Um, Theatre or cinema? Theatre. Luxury or adventure? Oh, I like luxury. I like adventurous luxury. If I can combine the two, that's brilliant. I love that. Yes. Again, my sort of travel person. Perfectly. Um, uh, Beach or mountain? I don't like beaches. I'm not, I'm not great with beaches at all. So anything other than that. Mountains, perfectly happy with mountains. Perfect. London or Paris? I have spent way more time in London than I have in Paris, but I love Paris more. Okay. okay. Um, a Camino or a cycle? Oh God, neither. Do I have to exercise? Do I have to eat either of those? <laughs> yes, okay. Can, I, can I, really, I not just sit somewhere? I, I think the listeners are getting an idea for your sort of travel. <laughs> um, if I could full, just sit somewhere with a glass of wine in front of me, that would be much easier. Absolutely. Well, full Irish or continental? Uh, oh, oh, continental. Continental. Uh, ski or sun? Well, that, that's I've, kind of this is, this is the long version of this, and it's 25 words less, I promise. I have been skiing, and I use that word lightly, twice when I was doing stuff for the radio show on 2FM. We did some shows from a place called Sol in Austria. Um, up the mountains, loads of people skiing around me. I did not put a ski on either of my feet once when I was there. I tobogganed once, and I almost killed myself by impaling myself. I almost fell off the side of a mountain. So uh, uh, I, I'm not good at it, let's be honest. Okay, okay. But I don't uh, like sun either. I'm not great at that either. I like places that are warm, but I have a sit in the shade. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm going to ask you now, just a curveball, because you sent me a list of places you've been and that you loved. And I want to know about Monaco, because I've been there once on a day trip when I was staying in Nice. How you stayed in Monaco? Have you an, a story about Monaco? Well, I said I was in Monaco. I did the same as you. I was on a day trip when I came to Nice as well, because um, I think it was the first time I was in Nice was my wife brought me there for my 40th birthday. So it was whatever, 2013. Um, and my wife for my birthday decided to do something big. And so because she knew I would expect it, obviously. So okay. she brought me to Barcelona for a couple of days and brought me to Nice for a couple of days. And we flew between the two. And when we were in Nice, we were there staying in a gorgeous little Airbnb, tiny little flat up at the top of like five flights of stairs. One of those tiny little buildings somewhere like Nice that, you know, is 150 years old and has no no lift and you've got to pull your suitcases all the way up to the top and it was brilliant I loved it um, and we did a couple of day trips so we did one two if people have been in that part of the world to a place called Ez Ez is kind of east on the coast from where from where Nice is isn't and that where you two I think are there you two kind of apparently Bono is very fond of Ez I heard that when I was there from somebody else Ez is this gorgeous little beautiful hilltop town and um, we got a bus out to that because it's the only way to to, to get there and then we did Monaco, I think, in the same day as well. But, you know, you go to Monaco, it costs eight quid for a scoop of Hagen-Dazs ice cream when you're sitting in one of the squares. 
and you know the McDonald's is the most expensive McDonald's in the world. We, we weren't on a big budget in, in seven <laughs> years ago, so so we we skimmed it and we looked. And actually, they were setting up at the time for the the Grand Prix. I'm not, I don't really care about that kind of thing, but I was interested in how they were closing off all the streets, and and it was all very there was a lot of furious activity going on at the time. So no, I've never stayed in Monaco. I I'm yeah. afraid I don't roll in those. Circles. <laughs> well, well, well. Unfortunately, I don't either. But I will say about Nice. I found a fantastic little restaurant in the old town called Chez Juliet, where they had a three-legged poodle and he used to go around all the tables and sit up and kind of beg. And, and all the crockery and, and, and plates were, were, you know, mismatched. And it was kind of like you were going for a, a fortune-telling reading, you know. And, and these little chic Parisian, uh, sorry, French places, I find have the best food in the world. And it's usually quite cheap. So, you know, I think Nice, probably you were better off staying there. I, I think I have a rule when it comes to being anywhere in the world. And I, I didn't always have this when I started traveling to begin with. And it's something that developed in, in later years. And it's always, if somewhere looks like it's set up as a tourist restaurant, avoid it at all costs. Pick anything, anything other than that. Doesn't matter what it is. If you've got somewhere that's got the menu in five different languages outside and, you know, that does, you know, chicken and chips, that's that's the place you go nowhere near and try and go four streets away and find something that looks slightly scary and slightly intimidating. And odds are you can go in and they will be very lovely to you and the, the food will be amazing. And that, I think, works for most places in the world. I couldn't agree more. This is kind of going back to the annals of your memories. What was your first holiday that you can remember? And was there a flight involved or was it kind of? Did, like there was not. I, did, I didn't fly until I was 19. Um, I, I, I come from a very working class background. So my first holiday that I can remember was to a caravan in Cortown in County Wexford. And that's where pretty much all of our summer holidays were throughout my entire childhood. Um, my grandparents had a caravan in Wexford. And so every summer, every Easter, every time we got the opportunity, we'd be down there. Um, I go with my grandparents quite a lot of the time. My parents would be there maybe some of the time. Um, and though those are, that's my entire childhood. I, I left, and the first time I left Ireland was, I was about 10 or 11. We went to a family wedding in London. And it was, as you did in those days, you got the boat to Hollyhead and you got the train all the way from Hollyhead all the way to Euston Station in London. And it felt like it took about 12 days. I think it was about like 10 hours. Um, and I wasn't on a flight for the first time until I was until I was 19 years old and I was going away with my then girlfriend on our first holiday at that stage. And, and I paid for it with my own cold hard cash. And where was that? Can you say? <laughs> to Paris. Yeah, it was to Paris. Oh, to Paris, yeah. Oh, that I needed to, I needed to, that was well, I needed to go, to go somewhere. Yeah. Look, look, I'll be honest. It was less to Paris and more to Disneyland Paris. I'll be straight with you because <laughs> Disneyland Paris, I think it opened the year before. Uh, I, I loved the idea of going there. I knew I was never going to get to go to the ones in, in the USA in my own head. And so I made the decision that, right, we're going to go, we're going to try this out. We went to Paris. We stayed in a tiny, tiny, tiny little hotel in what was then the Arab Quarter in Paris. And I think most of it still is behind the Gare de Nord. And uh, we, we stayed on the very, very, very cheap. And we went, I think, out to, to Disneyland for a couple of days on the train. We took the RAR out and back to Marina Ballet. And that was my first proper holiday away was to go to Disneyland in Paris when I was 19 and stay in this tiny, tiny little hotel. But I loved the hotel because we were somewhere we had never been before. Everything was really confusing. I spoke a little French. I was okay in French in school. So I had some of that at least. And every morning we'd go down and go to a little boulangerie around the corner in the most stereotypical fashion. And you'd get some hot, you know, baguette. 
and you get a couple of bits and pieces to go with that and some very very strong coffee and that was that was our, our trip i think you've mentioned something important there about paris if you make an effort at all uh, to speak french to the parisians I find them very charming and helpful. I've never had a bad experience with the Parisians. And, you know, you hear people saying, oh, they can be quite, I, I just find them lovely. If you make any effort, I think, to speak any language, wherever you are, even if it's hello and thank you, I think it makes a big difference to your traveling experience. I, I think it is a nonsensical stereotype, particularly with the French, that they are, are cold and unwelcoming. And, and I like totally said, all agree. it takes is totally for you agree. to meet them at some halfway point. Absolutely. Uh, and if it's some sort of, uh, you know, even if you can learn how to say, I don't speak French, and you can say, hello, goodbye, and thank you, and how much is, all of those things, you know, they go a really long way. And people will, will meet you halfway. And you're right, it's true, most people around the world. Uh, absolutely. And um, I, I was fascinated to, to hear that you went to uh, Korea. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it was only at a stage where I don't want to make it sound like I've been traveling all my life. I haven't. We did. We, I did a trip when I was 19. I don't think I left the country for another five years after that because, you know, I was working in small jobs and I didn't have a lot of money and it didn't pay very well. Um, and I had my, my first kid when I was 25. And so family kind of came along and then there wasn't a lot of money to go a lot of places. I've only really done the bulk of all of my traveling in the last, say, maybe 12 or 13 years. Um when things kind of just allowed, you know, things aligned and, and, and allowed me to go and do that. Japan and Korea, I did at the same time, mainly because Korea wasn't, wasn't the plan. The plan was to go to Japan because I'd always wanted to go to Japan. And it's one of my, you know, one of those things that I had pinned on a map to go someday. I'm going there. And it was a year in, in which like, we saved for 12 full months to make this trip happen because, you know, it was, it was expensive. And we spent two weeks, kind of a week and a half in Japan. We went to Tokyo, we went to Kyoto, and we finished up in Hiroshima and then we flew from Hiroshima to Seoul because I thought, look, we're over there. You it know, you're well. probably not going to. Well, you're not going to get the chance to go over there again. I mean, that was total nonsense. Yeah. I was there three years later. But yeah. you, at the time, you're thinking I might not get to go there again. And Korea seemed like a really, really interesting idea. So we spent three days in, in Seoul as well. Um, How do they compare? The thing I've, the, they're uh, radically different because a lot of people, and I, maybe I thought before I went there that you would have very similar cultures. Japan is very just so. I've watched a lot of Japanese cinema and people can be very respectful. It's, it's always emphasized to me that when we left um, Hiroshima on the plane, the ground staff, as the plane is pulling out backwards, all stood together and bowed to the plane as it left. That is how Japanese efficiency works. Their trains all run on time. The bullet we took the bullet trains between um, uh, between each of the cities we were we were in. They run exactly on time. People are very respectful and they're very. They don't cross against the lights. Uh, there's a, a huge amount of that in in Japanese culture. I loved it. I adored it. I would go back tomorrow in a heartbeat. Is the one place I want to go back to. And I couldn't have enjoyed myself more. The food was amazing. The people were lovely. I drank a lot of very solid Japanese craft beer, which was a great way to go. We saw sumo wrestling. Um, we ended up in Hiroshima in a German beer festival for about two days in which the main act was an umpa band made up of Australians all pretending to be German. And it was like it was like Oktoberfest. It was full of these huge halls full of Japanese people all having the crack. Uh, and all being served these beers from all around the world. And an umpire band up the front going, boom, boom, And when they stopped during between the songs, they were going, we're going to fly some before you next year. This one here is... Uh... So it, it was quite surreal. surreal. Yeah. It was. Now we went to Korea and Korean people are far more like us. 
So they're far more beeping their car horns and they're from, I didn't hear a single car horn beeped in anger in Japan in 10 days, not one. And we were in Tokyo, not a single one anywhere. The minute you turn up in Korea, they're like us. They're like beeping their car horns, walking against the traffic lights. They're all far more, you know, they're far more what we would classify as as, as normal. They're far more like, like us. So the, the culture is, I think, completely different. But being in a city like Seoul, Seoul is, is the only proper mega city I've ever been in. It's it's It feels like it's endless when you're there. Transport system is brilliant. Everything works wonderfully. We explored huge parts of the city. We went out and did the DMZ between there and North Korea. Oh, um, excellent. But, yeah. Oh, and, what was, and what was that like? Like, is there still traces of the war, you know, it, 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 let's be honest it's a tourist experience what they do is they bring you out in in uh, 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 coaches from Seoul they leave at whatever 10 o'clock in the morning and you take your place but they bring you out to the Japanese sorry the, the, the South Korean half of the demilitarized zone so the demilitarized zone runs however many kilometers it is on the South Korean side and on the North Korean side as well and in the middle it's fenced it's the whole country is fenced all the way across so they bring you out to things like there's an observation post where you can go up onto the observation post and you put your small coin into the the, uh, the the binoculars that you get there. And in the distance, you can see a tiny, tiny little village. Now, it's a village no one lives in, but it's symbolic and it has the North Korean flag flying from it. And wow. that's North Korea. And there are many guns trained on you. And then on your side, the South Korean side is where the South Korean uh, the South Korean uh, flag is. They show you things like tunnels that were dug from the North Korean side in the 50s and 60s, even after the war was, I say over, the war isn't still officially over these days, but after the, the ceasefire. Um, and then they show you really strange things, like, and not a lot of people are, are, are aware of this. I'm not sure how interesting this is. I found this totally fascinating. There's an industrial zone in the middle of the DMZ, which is full of North Korean labor. So they're people who are bussed in from North Korea every day, and they work for South Korean companies, people like Samsung, and all of the, all of the money, it is astonishing. And I've read articles on it since then. It's called the Kaesong Industrial Zone. And uh, so South Korean companies get their labor from the north. They pay the wages, and I'm uh, using air quotes here, to the North Korean government, who are then supposed to pay to the North Korean people. In all, to all intents and purposes, it's slave labor. And that was one of the most fascinating things that happened there yeah. to, to me. The DMZ also has its own train station, but it's a train station that goes nowhere. So the idea is one day Korea will be reunified. There is a state-of-the-art, brand new train station that is built. And all it needs to do is be connected to the train lines on the north side of the border. So you can go up and it has a platform that brings you, says Pyongyang in one direction, says Seoul in the other. But there are no trains going in either direction. And if you go to the North Korean side, the tracks just stop. I really, it's one of the more fascinating places I've ever been in my life. Absolutely. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, what, so, so, Rick, what's the funniest thing that's happened to you while you've been on holidays? God, funny is uh, funny is always in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? There's something, <laughs> stuff that happens to you when you're on holidays and you think this is just the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And then it turns out to be funny afterwards. Um I don't know if there's individual moments over the course of my holidays that I think are kind of laugh out loud. I've never had that thing where I've ended up being locked out of a hotel or I've never found that thing where I've found myself, you know, lost and drunk in the streets of Palermo or whatever. Um, so I don't know if I have a funniest thing that's happened to me on holidays. I try to avoid things that are funny. I'll be brutally honest with you. Um, you have a bad, do you have a bad experience that happened to you? 
here's the thing. I think we've been so lucky in that it's happened maybe once or twice we've had stuff that's been a bit rough and where you've found yourself. I've never missed a flight, which is astonishing. I've never had a flight cancelled on me and had to spend like overnight in, a, in, in an airport somewhere. I think the, 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 the worst thing that ever happened, and it seems like very small beans these days, is being in Pisa Airport about seven or eight years ago. And if you go to Florence, you have a couple of choices. There's no real actual airport in, in Florence. So you go to, to Pisa or you go to, I think, Bologna is the one on the other side. Um, yeah. And Pisa Airport seemed like the most chaotic place I've ever been because the Italians there did not understand queuing and more importantly didn't really care about it so it was one of those days when there were huge numbers of people trying to get out of the airport there, there seemed to be one small entrance into the security uh, section in, in which there were two guys standing one on either side and they seemed to be letting people in like one at a time and the queue stretched about three quarters of the way down uh, the throughout the entire concourse we may have been slightly tight for time and so by the time we got up to the top I was very very hectic and I was very very stressed but having said that we made the flight and I think only once in my life I've ever almost missed a flight and it was a connecting flight and that was because uh, the flight left Dublin late and we were going somewhere else now having said that when we flew into Hong Kong last god was it last year but what year no not last year because that was 2020 and no one went anywhere. No one's 2019 anywhere. in 19 we went uh, to Hong Kong and we went to Vietnam as we left Dublin airport, the Hong Kong airport was closed because of the democracy protests that were happening in Hong Kong at the time. It was in the middle of August uh, and the democracy protests were at their height. And it was the day that the protests were taken to the main airport uh, outside Hong Kong, Chepkot Black Airport, whichever it is, the, the, the new one. Um, and so when we left Dublin, the airport was closed and we were flying towards an airport that may or may not have been not open by the time we got there. And we were watching CNN on board because we were on um, whatever it was. We were on uh, a cafe flight, I think. So you had like live CNN on board. And every now and then you check in and go, are they still there? Are they, is it still? Is it still? Because we presumed we might have to be diverted to an airport, perhaps in China or, or somewhere else. And by the time we got there, it was first thing in the morning. There were a token knot of lovely, very politely well-behaved protesters holding up their signs, explaining what their grievances were. And the airport was open and everybody else had just gone home. It was the strangest thing is we, we checked into our hotel and I was talking to the guy who brought the bags up. And he said, oh, no, no, I was there. I was, I was at the protests, but I had to leave because I couldn't be late for work. So they, 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 they were just, you know, we're Very here, polite. we're protesting, but now I have to get back to my job. And they were, they were, they were, they were like that. That's probably the closest I've come to kind of semi-disaster. Yeah, that's, it's kind of quite, it's quite sad that, you know, what's going on. And, and it's terrible, the loss of that service to Hong Kong that we had. With it, it, is, it, it is because, you know, when, when we were there, Hong Kong is an extraordinary city. And it's a city that it obviously has this immense heritage, which all comes from, from the, the British side of it. So you have buses that look like they're British. You have transport systems that run as if they are. You, you, you then have, I mean, an entire well, a huge population of Hong Kongers who would rather live life as they are living it now and have lived it since 1997 and would much rather not live as part of a, of a greater China. We saw some protests while we were there. They, they made their points very forcefully. There were a lot of protests. Um, there was, you know, graffiti on the streets. And, but they were, you know, they were still just the most 
passionate people about what it was that they they believed in and, and still do believe in and now I know we're, we're getting into politics but I was very That's moved by, 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 by the time we were there and it's a place I'd, I'd love to go back to and, and, and re-experience we were only there for about, for about three days I think that I think it's one of the things about travel you do learn that you know human rights are it's the same thing people are fighting for all over the world. Having been to the apartheid, I don't know if you've been to South Africa, but the apartheid museum, with the story of Nelson Mandela and the terrible you know, challenge they had. It's very, very similar to the museum, um, Bloody Sunday Museum up in Derry. You know, it's the same story. It's around the same period. And I think that's something that you learn from travel. It's the unity of us, of people rather than, you know, I- the differences. <laughs> I, I think so. And I, I, I love travel, but there are places in the world that I that I won't travel to because I would feel uncomfortable going to those countries because and China is one of those. I'd love to go to China. I, I would feel uncomfortable traveling to China, given the nature of, of the way it is operated as a country at the moment. Going to Hong Kong was wonderful because you get a lot of the brilliant things about China and Chinese culture, but you get it in a place where at the time ostensibly democracy was working and and, and it was a thing. But there, there are places I, I, I wouldn't go to. Yeah. And um, so, you know, moving along, hopefully after, um, you know, all these lockdowns stop and travel becomes more accessible again, we will have a good choice of bucket list places to visit. And have you got somewhere on your bucket list that you haven't been to yet that you kind of are firmly, um, you know, you really, really want to go there? Everywhere. I want to go everywhere. (laughs) I want to right now. Right now, the conversation I've had with friends recently is that I just want to be somewhere in a city where I don't understand the street signs, uh, where I am completely in an alien place that is not in any way connected to where I come from. Uh, I would like to eat some of their food. I would like to drink some of their beer. And I would like to spend some time there. I don't care what the weather's like. I don't care if it's freezing cold. I don't care if it's tropical. I'm not bothered by any of that. Now, I do. I, I absolutely have I've bucket list places to go to. I mean, I've, I've ticked off a lot of the really good stuff in, in the last 10 years. I mean, I'd never been to Scandinavia and I've, I've done that. Um, like for my honeymoon, I'd never been. I've been to New York once in, in my life and uh, I'd never been outside of that for my honeymoon. We did like a four city thing in in the united states and i've done japan korea hong kong vietnam which is my favorite place in the world and i was not expecting it to be it was breathtaking um but south america is the place i'd I'd like to go to south america um and my my wife is very passionate about this as well so i we'd like to you know take off an enormous chunk of time and we'd like to go and do country to country to country and visit a lot of different places and and see what that's like yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see the way the world does, you know, open up and the, the countries that will be accessible like that. Um, there is that. And part of that question is, again, you know, veering back into, into the real world, but it's about, yeah. you know, accessibility to vaccines, because there will be parts of the world that you still won't be able to go to safely, quote unquote, for a very long time, because those countries may not have access to vaccines the way we would. Absolutely. We have to just wait and see, watch this space. Um, so you said that you, you, you love traveling with your wife, which is great. Is there anybody else you'd like to travel? If you could choose somebody to travel with to go on an adventure, someone dead or alive now, you know, you can bring anyone at all. Who would you go? Where would you go and with who? No, God, no, I'm terrible at that. I don't want to travel with anybody but my wife. Do you know, there's one, there's one exception to that. And that is, is pretty much my kids. My kids are great to, to, to travel with. And in particular, my, my son is 20, he's going to be 23 this year. And he is currently in college in the University of Leiden in Holland. And he's uh, away. He loves traveling too. He spent his summer between college and his master's traveling around Europe, just backpacking it, being on buses, being on trains. Um, 
I'm good. I, I've traveled with him a couple of times and we've gone to cities a couple of times and, sp- and spent time together. And that's, it's, it's, it's really nice. I, I, I'm, I, I, everybody else I, I could do, I could take or leave people. I'll be honest with you. I'm not really mad about people. Like a, you know, my wife and I do this really well. We like roughly the same things and we share passions for the same sort of stuff. And then she drags me to certain things and I drag her to certain other things. And uh, you know, it, it works out well in the end. Other Absolutely. people not so sure about sure. <laughs> So, so tell me, what, do you take selfies? Are you prone to the odd selfie when you're away? And, and te- is there anywhere where you've taken a really cool selfie? I, I, I try not to be, but that's, you know, that's that everybody tries. You don't necessarily <laughs> succeed, let's be honest, because there's always an element of, uh, and I think as I grow older, the more I come to understand this is, you know, you can have all of the interesting pictures of places that you have been and buildings that were interesting but they don't really mean anything to you. I can take pictures of the Eiffel Tower from here to the, you know, to the cows come home, but that doesn't mean anything. But a picture of me and my wife and the two of us taking a selfie together in different places around the world, that's part of our shared history and it's part of who we are. Now, we tend not to put a lot of those on, on social media. Like when I'm away on holidays, uh, I, I don't do social media at all. So I, I log out from everything. I delete all the apps from my phone. And if I'm away on holidays in any form, I, I don't do social media full stop. Now, when I come back, I might stick up a couple of pictures of, of places that I've, that I've been. Uh, but when I'm there, I'm there. I have, I, li- I like taking pictures in unusual places. I like, you know, I was in Budapest and I stood up on the chain bridge in uh, the center of Budapest in the middle of a marathon and took a picture as the marathon was going by. I, I like doing ones on, no. on boats on the, on the Staten Island Ferry. I'm very good at doing boats. I quite like that. I took one in Kowloon when I was standing in Kowloon with Hong Kong in the background. Uh, if I find an interesting picture that I think is good, I'll stick both of us in it because it's a nice way of remembering the fact that the fact that we were there. That sounds that sounds great. The one in Budapest isn't Budapest a beautiful city? Isn't yeah, I wasn't expecting it to love it as much as I did, and and it is. We did Budapest and Vienna. Um, I think it was for my birthday a couple of years ago, and we travelled by train in between the two of them. And Budapest, I became passionate about because it's full of really great food. The, the places, the baths, we went to the Gellert Baths and, and, and spent time there. It was during a point when the weather was nice as well. They have great ruin bars in Budapest. Oh, that's the name, really nice. ruin bars. Oh, my God, they are yeah. the coolest place. And just, just explain to the listeners what a ruin bar is, because... Uh, yeah, for yeah, people yeah. who have no sense of it, I know people have tried to fake them here. It doesn't really work. That way. <laughs> no, the it idea of a, no, the idea of a, of a ruin bar is it's something that's set up in a space literally in between two other buildings. Um, and as I understand it, the idea stretches back for, for, a, you know, for, for decades, certainly back into the middle of the 20th century and, and, and earlier. The idea being that you would have a, a, almost literally a bombed out spot in between two other existing buildings. It would be an empty lot. And you just set up a bar in the center, string up some lights, stick out some chairs. And off you go. Now, these days, obviously, they're they're much more hipster and much more swanky than they, they would have been 50 years ago. Right. But that's the concept. They're these just open air bars that exist in, in empty lots in between two, two other buildings. Yeah, they have a great vibe and lovely little kind of food market squeezed in between them, haven't they? Um, it, around the Jewish quarter is where there's greater aid than in Budapest. Loved yeah, and, and, yeah, and their, their public transport is awesome as well. Always you've got to give a big up to the great public transport. Their tram system is amazing and uh, it works really efficiently and they've got a good underground. I'm always I'm passionate about a good rail system. And if I can go to a city where you've got a good underground rail system or a good tram system, that immediately makes the experience far better for me. Right. But you, you picked in the in the in the manic minute, you picked boats. So so what what kind of great memories have you about boats? 
I get on boats wherever I can. I can't swim, which is which is the ironic thing that if something terrible happens on one of these boats, I'm screwed. Um, I, I don't know why. I don't really have an answer. I used to love going on the ferry over and back to Hollyhead. Like we used to do day trips when, when I was a kid. So and even when I was a teenager, we used to, you know, go over and spend the day going over to Hollyhead and back until Hollyhead became too grim a place to go to. Um, so anytime I've ever been anywhere, and it starts off with when I was, I was 10 and I was in London and I went on the Thames on a boat, which seemed like the most exciting thing because the Thames is huge in comparison to the Liffey. Like it's, you can, you can, the other side is way off over there. So anytime I've been in cities, I, I try to do it. And I've been on the Danube and I love the Staten Island Ferry because it's free. And I did the Staten Island Ferry in the middle of uh, winter once when it was so cold, I was the only idiot outside on the deck freezing my arse off because I just wanted to experience it for, for myself. Um, you go to places like Venice. I was in Venice um, once and we stayed on the Lido. So for people who don't know, Venice obviously exists as an entity in and of itself. The Lido is kind of to the east of it and there are beaches on the other side of that. And we stayed there. But of course, there's a, a regular ferry service that runs all the way through Venice and from the islands and from one to the other. So every day when we were going into Venice, you took a ferry in. Every night when you were coming home, you know, a few sheets to the wind, you get a ferry back. And that always seemed like a wonderfully human thing for me to do. We went to Hong Kong uh, and one of the best craft beer bars in Hong Kong is it's literally set up out of, it's on, down on the docks facing Kowloon. And it's in this little thing that looks like a chip van. And you go down there and you grab a decent beer and there's just concrete steps all around. And then you sit and you just watch the world go by at like 11 o'clock at night while that's all happening after you've taken your ferry from Kowloon, after you've been over in Kowloon going for, for a wonder for the day. So if I'm in a city and if I find a ferry of any kind or a boat of any kind, I'm on it. I'd like to know how it works and I wonder where it goes. That's great. And Venice, I know that they have the water taxis as well. Um, I, I remember getting one, a personal one to our hotel and kind of blew us, blew us all away. Uh, it, it's great. And Boston, actually, Boston is a great city to kind of enter the city by sea. People don't realise that, that you can get a water taxi and it's quite cheap flying into oh. Logan Airport. Yeah. And, and you get a little taxi it will bring you straight over to the north end. You know, the, the, the Rose Kennedy Greenway and... That's quite yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only ever been there w once and I, I pretty much only ever took trains and only, I, I, I had no sense of that at all. I, I was there for, for work purposes at the time, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I had no sense. Again, if I can find it, I will. It's a great city, Boston, isn't it? You said you took a few... Boston's forces. fine. Boston's grand. Uh, you know, actually, I was there for, for work for St. Patrick's Day. I, did, I think we did it a couple of years while I was in, in the latter part of my time in, in 2FM. And while it, it, it is, we were there obviously in March, so it was fairly cold and fairly Baltic still at that stage of the year. I like their secondhand bookstores. I think Boston has an incredible selection of secondhand bookstores, which I spent a lot of time in when I was there. Uh, and we went out to do the Kennedy Presidential Museum, which is very well worth your time. We went out to JFK Harvard Memorial. and wandered around over in Cambridge and, and did that. Um, you know, would I be passionate about going back to it again? Possibly not. Like when we were on our honeymoon, we, we decided we were going to go to, we um, started in San Francisco because we'd never been there. Uh, we drove down the Pacific Coast Highway down to LA, took about two or three days, drove down the 101. And then we spent a few days in New Orleans and we spent a few days in Chicago and we spent a few days in New York. And, and that was where we finished up. So it wasn't on the list per se. 
I'd say, yeah. Well, if you are heading back, I would recommend October time because uh, you can get a train or a boat <laughs> to Salem and, um, you know, experience the whole, the, the, they take the, the whole idea of Halloween really seriously. And that's, that's really nice. Air, nice air. How did you find the Pacific Coast Highway drive? I mean, I, I think, I think it's one of the epic, uh, the epic oh, road trips. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. I was, I was one of those things I had always gone. I, I want to do that someday. I want to try doing the whole, I don't want to go on freeways. I'm not interested in, you know, getting from point A to point B. I want to go somewhere where there's a two lane blacktop and where I'm just going to saunter. So we did. Yeah. We spent a few days in San Francisco at the beginning of our honeymoon, mainly to get over the jet lag. Um, and San Francisco was, was lovely. And we got a car and because it's America, like we could rent an open top sports car for whatever it was, Thruppence hate me a day. It was next to nothing. I was astonished at how cheap car rental was when we were there. And we got a fancy open top sports car, uh, which I swear was about like 20 quid a day. It was something, something like that. And we decided we'd take a, a few days to drive down to, to LA. Uh, and so we did, we did it quite gently. We drove down and we stopped in places like we spent a night in Carmel. We went to San Luis Obispo. Uh, it's great for wine isn't it that whole region it, it, it was we went to Santa Inez and we did a couple of things in, in, in on a couple of wine tours while, while we were there and we did Hearst Castle when we were on our way down at the very bottom end of it we went through Big Sur and did because people don't necessarily realise that you know the, the top part as you come into San Francisco and as you're heading down you end up going over like the Bixby Creek Bridge which is the one that's in Big Little Lies of the opening sequence of the TV series that's the one that's there and a load of that is set down around in, in that part of California and then all of a sudden there's giant trees everywhere and there's giant redwoods around you because you're in a completely different type of country and then you come back out yeah. of that again yeah and then and then it's kind of scrubland and, and it's and beach after that uh, I loved it uh, we didn't drive anywhere else in, in the states I try to I try to not drive if I can at all sometimes yeah. it's, it's not not possible um, but I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it I'm comfortable with driving on the other side of the road and all that it's okay in the states in the states you kind of nearly do always need a car unless you're you're staying in a city what about Monterey did you did you pop it in and, and give a nod to Steinbeck no in in passed in by Monterey Mon Salinas no. <laughs> yeah, passed pass by Monterey and and it was I was conscious there were so many things I could have potentially done when, when when I was there and it's the sort of thing I'd, I'd love to do again but maybe take a bit more time on and maybe start in the south and work my way up north and go north from San Francisco as well and, and go off up into, into that part of California, Northern California as well. Well, I'm not sure if you're a Steinbeck fan, but his, his original family home is beautifully, beautifully restored as a foundation house and they kind of make lovely homemade lunches and they've restored all the rooms the way they were. You know, it's, it's really nicely done. That sounds, I, that sounds exactly like my cup of tea. Uh, yeah, it was really good. That, put that on the list for next time you go back there. Um, my Ireland, we haven't talked about Ireland at all. Where is your favourite place in Ireland to visit? Now, you don't have to talk about Cork Town. Yeah. Somewhere else. <laughs> Japer, Japer somebody, I'm going to get into trouble if I name a favourite place in Ireland. Um, it's, it's strange that I've probably been to more parts of this country than anyone I know because of my job. Uh, because, you know, there, there's almost very few people who see Ireland more than the likes of, of, of me, apart from people who deliver stuff for a living and, you know, people who are salespeople and, 
uh, people who you know drive buses. Because I worked, I mean, I was on 2FM for 17 years. And out of each of those years, we would have done outside broadcasts in different parts of the country, maybe 20, 25, maybe more times. So I counted that at one stage and I'd done outside broadcasts in every one of the 26 counties and one of the counties north of the border as well. So I've seen everywhere. Now, in terms of where you want to go and you'd like to kind of just spend some time like this year we got away for sorry this year I keep saying it 2020 last year yeah, yeah. It, it always takes me about, about a month to get used <laughs> to the whole idea of a new year me too um, <laughs> la- last year we did get away because we managed to do um we did like two two and a half weeks in Kerry we rented a house in Kerry in August during the period where everybody was allowed to actually go to bits of Ireland and then and then come back again and that was beautiful um it was in the middle of nowhere. It was uh, very close to Sneem. Uh, and I mean, it was genuinely in the middle of nowhere. We were out somewhere qu- quite rural. Um, and we just took little day trips and we brought our dogs with us and we walked the dogs every day. And then we'd go off and do these little day trips that brought us to little hill forts and, you know, little towns we hadn't been in before and places that have been recommended to us by friends that were doing dinners. Um, so I do love that very much. I love West Cork very much as well. I like things where I'm near the sea, I have to be honest with you. So, you know, I love Donegal and I love Mayo and I love parts of West Galway as well. If you can put me somewhere relatively near the sea, I'm usually very, very happy with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there are so many gems in Ireland. I mean, this year for the first time, because I could only travel around Ireland, I discovered um, Sligo Oyster experience which was going to an oyster farm and you know just seeing the whole process it was absolutely fascinating and you, you were nestled in there between Bel- Ben Bulban and Knocknerie and it was just it was just gorgeous you know I said okay would I swap it with Italy or uh, you know South Africa or wherever else normally on my travels I'd be all over the place but I actually saw this year as a great opportunity to really enjoy Ireland and I think people will do that um, in the coming yeah, year. And I- and I, I hope so very much. And it's the, the weird thing about my job these days now is that part of it uh, involves me doing book festivals every year. So I do book and literary festivals around the country. And as a result of which, I've gotten to see places I wouldn't have done and kind of ended up loving places I wouldn't necessarily ever have been to. I'm, I'm practically local in the stole. I like to think they've, they've adopted me at this point because of the, the Writers Week every every year. Um, and there, you know, you end up going to, to, to spots all around the country and getting to meet people and getting to figure out the kind of cool local stuff. I spent a lot of time in Westport over the last couple of years. I've done their festival there a couple of times as well. Um, and, and that is a joy because sometimes, and I've felt this very frequently over the years, there's so many people who live in and around certain parts of Ireland, it's mostly Dublin, let's be honest, who have never really spent any appreciable time in certain parts of the country. They know where it is. They know where you know, that bit of West Clare is, but they've never actually been down there. They've never gone, you know, I dragged my kids to Arden Crusha to the power station once for the crack just to do the tour. You've never gone and seen all of this interesting, cool, fun stuff that exists, if not quite on your doorstep, certainly relatively relatively close by. And I think certainly the likes of, of um, the, the Wild Atlantic Way has done wonders for branding that particular part of Ireland over the last few years. Um, and made it seem far more uh, uh, interesting, and and it has become a package thing for people who are coming to Ireland. Um, and I, I think that that can only be a good thing. Ultimately, when tourists come back, because we are in that bizarre place right now, yeah, where there are no tourists here, and we're not being tourists anywhere else. And this is all an abstract conversation. We're having. yeah, but it's okay. It's okay too. It's okay too. Um, food. 
Rick, what's the strangest food you've eaten in a place? Because you've been to quite like Korea, you've been to strange places. What's the um, strangest food you've ever? I would have said prior to this, I, I, I was like a couple of times in Malta about 10 years ago, um, once for, for the radio show and once just uh, kind of for fun. Uh, Malta is is lovely. Again, a place where weirdly they drive on our side of the road because they were once you know, run by the British and, and where a lot of signs are in English and a lot of people you know speak English as a, as a, as a first language, um, which normally puts me off a place, but didn't in Malta. Malta's lovely. I had octopus there for the first time. Octopus is, is a weird one. Um, but in terms of food, and I, I, I just circle back to Vietnam. Um, we went to Vietnam last year. Um, I really wanted to go to Hong Kong. My wife really wanted to go to Vietnam. I wasn't overly sure about Vietnam. I was, I was, I'm always slightly intimidated by somewhere that I think I'm going to get particularly culturally lost in. And when we arrived in Hanoi at the beginning, we went north to south. So we started in Hanoi, flew into Hanoi. And as we arrived in our hotel, we got the advice essentially from someone I knew who just said, if you want to eat, just find one of those tiny pokey little holes in the wall that looks like somebody's garage. And if they've got plastic chairs outside, doesn't matter how crappy it looks, that's not important. You will eat like a king. And so we did it. We went around the corner from our hotel. We found a place that I, I took a picture of at the time and sent it back to my friends. And none of the signs are in English. And it's full of you know, tiny plastic chairs that look like they belong in a children's birthday party. And we sat down and dude just looked at us and, and handed us a menu that did have English stuff on it. And we just pointed and went that, that, and that. I have rarely eaten as well anywhere in my life. And we did that for almost all of the time that we were in Vietnam. We'd stop off in like food carts. They have great food markets. We were in a, we went from Hanoi further down south. So we went to uh, Hoi An and we went to Hue, which is the old imperial capital. And I'm thinking, remember, particularly in Hoi An, one night we were going home, we'd had a few beers, we'd been in a nice spot, and it was lashing rain. And we came across this food cart in what it was a closed food market, but it was still open to catch the stragglers coming home. And we just went that, that, and that. And we sat under an awning in the pouring rain, eating, I had no idea what it was. It was breathtaking. And I just had that moment of going, well, this is me outside of my comfort zone and I will gladly do this anytime. So Vietnam would be my suggestion as a country Uh, in terms of you can't go wrong. I've heard that from so many people. And Thailand is very similar. You just go to any of the little markets or any of the little stalls, even on the side of the street, you'll get a terrific meal for a fiver. Absolutely yeah. delicious. Yeah. And so well, I, I'm going to, you might get into trouble or you might want to answer this even, but if you were heading off on holidays and you were going to bring a book with you, is there a couple of books that you would really absolutely uh, say this is just a cracker? What would you, 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 you I, here, Here's the problem. I don't bring a couple of books. I bring, regardless of where I'm going. So if I'm, if I'm flying, usually half of my suitcase is books because I don't really do the Kindle thing. Um, so, you know, even if I was going away as I was to 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 like uh, Vietnam and to and to Hong Kong, I probably brought six, seven books with me at that stage. Because you've got long flights, you're going to read on the flights. You're going to be on trains at a certain point. You're going to read on the train as well, and then you're going to want something when you go back to the room at night and read a bit of that as well. Normally, what I do is there during the course of of early summer and midsummer, books will come in, and I will go, yeah, you're coming with me. Uh, and I'll, I'll put together maybe three or four or five that aren't urgent. They're don't, not ones that need to be read for work purposes. They're ones that I just like like the look of. Frequently, they can be quite large ones that will just me. I need a long run at these books. And we've done it a couple of times in that we we've we don't always go places to do stuff. So in in recent years, we've kind of gone 
to places and like we'd rent a villa somewhere for two weeks we did it in in south france at one stage we did it in italy a couple of times we've done it actually weirdly in the south of spain a couple of times in middle of nowhere in, in kind of not in touristy spain but in very non-touristy spain um and we did it on sicily a couple of years ago um, as well and at that stage right now i'm going to be two weeks in a villa of some kind, there's a big stash of books coming. So my wife and I would probably bring maybe 14 books between the two of us. And we some of them will be, will be swap over ones, swap, but we know yeah. we're definitely going to read the other ones. Yeah. Um, but there's no criteria. There's no, it, 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 for me, it's, it's, I have to bring books because that's how I occupy my brain when I'm, yeah. when I'm traveling, particularly there's a lot, you know, a lot of uh, air travel involved. You're going to be sitting in airports and, and, and doing a lot of that. Um, but yeah, it, it was a strange one last year to not do that for the first time in forever. Because in about, I guess about three weeks, four weeks time, it'll be a year since the last time I was out of the country. And that's definitely the longest period in the last maybe 12 or 13 years. I think for a lot of us, it's the same. It has been, it's been quite difficult for travel writers, as you can imagine. But um, mm. as I said, I've got, I've got really to know parts of Ireland that I didn't know very well. And I took two cruising trips um, this year, one on the Shannon and one on Loch Earn, and that is a delight. That's if you like boats, like water, that might be an idea for you, Rick. I, I've always of... thought about that, and for years I thought I liked yeah. the idea of that. And then there's that thing about you, the terror of me being in control of the boat. <laughs> I, I want someone else who knows what they're doing to be in control of the boat. I haven't got a clue what's going on. I'd like professionals uh, to be doing that. Uh, oh, okay. Well, my other half, he only learned for the first time, and he, he just took to like a duck to water. It's a little bit like just being in a car on water. They make it very easy for you. So that might be an idea for next time. <laughs> um, well, listen, Rick, thank you so much. For agreeing to the interview it's been really fascinating all the different are you going to ask me about my item you made oh, me bring an item to this interview I okay so oh my god how did i forget that how did i forget the item tell me the item sorry sorry rick i, I should have continued you when you started please tell i spent me what it 10 is. i spent 10 whole seconds picking this out i will have you know that's how long that took well it's it's, it's strange that you asked me to pick out an item that was in some way connected to to, to travel and something that, that i love i'm not one of those people who brings home souvenirs i try not to i try i try very hard mugs are the exception I have a, a, a cupboard of mugs over there that are from different cities around the world. Things that I liked, you know, one that I bought in the former, you know, uh, North Vietnamese uh, presidential palace, uh, one that I bought in the demilitarized zone. I, I like unusual mugs from around the world, but I picked this, this, and I'm going to have to describe this obviously because this is, this is just audio only. It looks like the inside of uh, what you find in a Kinder Surprise when you've eaten all the chocolate, except it's clear. And it's, it comes in two halves. And if I wanted to, I could open it. But I've never opened it. Uh, this is Yoko Ono's breath. Oh, my God, Rick. How? Oh, my. I don't think anybody could actually, you know, go, con contest with that. That is unbelievable. Where did you get that? Uh, we went on holidays. And sadly, I don't think that they haven't done direct flights there in years to Bilbao a few years ago in northern Spain. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to go was there is a, there is a Guggenheim museum there. My, one of my main reasons for travel a spectacular is I love, one. Yeah. Mm. It, it is. And I love modern art museums around the world. They are the first thing I seek out when I go to a city anywhere. And usually I will spend a fair amount of time in those places. Um, the, the Guggenheim in Bilbao is a stunning building designed by Frank Gehry. Um, 
it has within it, and certainly it had within it at the time, a bunch of things that I liked the look of and didn't quite realize just how important they were because we just picked a random time. We went and then we went, okay, well, well, what's in there? Um, there was a, an, a video installation called The Clock by a man called Christian Marclay, which is one of the most famous video installations anywhere. And I've seen it two more times in two separate uh, art galleries uh, around the world. And um, they had uh, a Jeff Koons, a giant Jeff Koons outside in the form of a dog, but made out of flowers. It's a puppy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's the puppy guy. The puppy, yeah. I think he, I think he's called Poopy. That's that's yeah, that's it. And apparently they and, change the change the flowers every season. You know, yeah. depending. Yeah. And inside there was a Yoko Ono exhibition. I had never really thought much about Yoko Ono's art. All you know about Yoko Ono is that Yoko Ono was Yoko Ono. She was married to John Lennon. Um, she was the one who broke up the Beatles. You know, she, that's what we think of Yoko Ono. But of course, Yoko Ono has been, you know, an experimental artist since the 1960s. Um, and we walked through this exhibition of her work that was retrospective on there. And it was some of the more breathtaking things I have ever seen. I brought home, I don't do it very often, and I'm looking over my left shoulder here because my section of art books over here, we bought the, the catalog, the, the, the big thick book, because I wanted to be able to come back and relive it at, at some stage. But this was, there was a machine, essentially like one of those old machines that you would get that you used to put, you know, five pence into, you turn it three times, and a little plastic ball would come out of the bottom. And that's exactly what this is. But in it, we've been reliably told, is Yoko Ono's breath. Now it's never been opened and it never will be, but that sits inside a little box that I have inside of things that I've, I've, I've managed to plunder from around the world. Uh, nobody is going to compete with that, Rick. I mean, it's going to be interesting to hear I hope people's not. stories. I don't think they will. <laughs> uh, but it's been terrific talking to you. I really have the wanderlust now after after <laughs> talking about all those lovely places. And, you know, as I said, this is a hypothetical conversation because we don't know how how travel is going to change. But, let, let, you know, it, this too shall pass. And so I think there's lots to inspire people um, and lots of lovely places. And thank you so much for your time. Michelle, it has been my absolute pleasure. <laughs> it has been brilliant talking Not to you. Not a bother. Thanks a million. Best luck with the rest of the series. Oh, thanks a million. Well, what a charming man. I could listen to Rick's voice all day long, and that is some memento that will be very difficult for other guests to beat. Uh, I've been to Bilbao, and it really is an amazing museum. But some of the places Rick was talking about, I'd really love to go to too, especially South Korea. So as I mentioned earlier, I caught up with Trina O'Mahony of the Munster Vales earlier this week and she has some food for thought for those of us looking for somewhere to go on staycation this summer. There's lots of new activities and things to do, so stay tuned and have a little listen here. Thanks so much for joining me today, Trina. Thanks for having me, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Oh, great. Now, do you know, I didn't know what the Munster Vales was until last year, and I was very fortunate to do a fantastic tour of all the um, counties that are involved. Um, and I really had a great time. Can you just tell the listeners exactly where is the Munster Vales? Yes. So Munster Vales is a relatively new holiday destination. So it's based around five mountain regions that are in Cork, Limerick, Tipperary and Waterford. So the regions, the mountains are the Ballyharas, the Knockville Downs, the Galtees, the Comoras and the Nagels. So Munster Vales incorporates that whole kind of upland area uh, and reaching down to the Copper Coast in Waterford. So we have part of the, 
the sea then as well and it just takes in there's so much to see and do and spectacular scenery in the area that that's where the holiday destination came from really that's where the idea arose and um it's working really really well and we're representing the small tourism businesses in rural ireland in the mountainous regions and trying to promote and get the word out there now well well it, it is particularly beautiful and the mountain ranges are lovely so would what sort of activities would you say the region is rich in you know with those beautiful mountains what would be the highlights? So walking and hiking would definitely be number one. We have an abundance of walking and hiking trails. Um, cycling then as well. We have the Waterford Greenway in this area and the Shore Blue Way in Tipperary as well. And we have mountain biking. Uh, the Ballyhara region is famous for its mountain biking. There's one of the best um, networks of trails in the Ballyharas there for mountain biking. And also in the Care Clamell area. And it's also being developed in the Waterford in the Cumber region as well. So we also have kayaking um, along the Blue Way in Tipperary and we have a, sl a special slalom course uh, in Clanmel as well that brings visitors from all over the country down. And we have Ballyhas Lakes, which you visited. I did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I have to tell the listeners, I, I got a bit of a scare. They had me signed in for this wakeboarding. I didn't know what it was. It, it, it's actually water skiing on this single board. I think there were the guys before we were doing all sorts of flips in the air. And I have to say I chickened out. <laughs> I chickened out. But, but I did. I did take up on one of my favorites, which is zip, zip lining. And that was really good fun. That yes. was great. Zip lining uh, over the lakes. A selection of things to do there like that from the zip lining um, to the climbing and the wakeboarding. As you said, they're famous for their wakeboarding now. Um, water sports, archery. They even have axe throwing now as well, which is I great. saw that. There were a crowd of lads there, which was a nice kind of activity for a group. Yeah, it was, yeah. that was great fun. Uh, what what else did we do? Well, we, did, we did archery as well. And the archery yeah. was great. Such yeah. a wide selection of things to do there, and also was horse riding, as you well know as well. Um, our region. Is oh, oh, lovely, John Joe. Uh, we were looked after so well um, on the beautiful horses. We went around the um, the Ballyharas, and you know, it, it, the, the sense of just escapism. It's like a meditation when you go horse riding through the beautiful Irish countryside, isn't it? There's just something it's like a different world. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And John Joe's great crack, he's a great character. Yeah. And the Ballyharas now I stayed in lovely mountain lodges there. Um there are about 12 of them in it and they're kind of built into a wooded forest. So and, and they were they were made out of wood themselves or their exterior was. So you really felt like you were sleeping in the woods you know part and parcel yeah. of it is lovely it's really immersive um and that's just one of the the, the wide range of accommodations that are available in Monster Vales they're the Ballyhara mountain lodges and we have ecopods um as well in Villierstown in County Washford and we have a fabulous and I have to stop you there because there is the best takeaway in the world across the road from that Blackwater you wouldn't believe it it's in a kind of a general store yeah. And and just whoever owns it, they, they do these remarkable Thai uh, Southeast Asian dishes. And, and it was only like for a tenner. And the meal was big enough for two. And it was out of, it was the best Thai curry I've ever had in my life. I, 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 I couldn't get over it. I really, and, and I love my Thai curry and I love Thailand. But um, it, what a surprise, just opposite this great little pub. What was the name of the, the pub we, we went to? Can you remember the name of it beside the Blackwater pubs? 
Um, the name is gone for me now. I can I can see the, the pub, but I can't yeah. think of the name. It's, it's such a quaint little town. Is just yeah. such a hidden gem. Like you think in this small little village, I and do. they do beautiful picnic baskets as well for people who want to go out on the boat and take a boat down the Blackwater, the River Blackwater, and you have this beautiful picnic, and it's just idyllic little village. It's gorgeous. And, and you know, as you drive into it, you get a, a surprise because there's this beautiful um, architectural feature on the bridge, and it looks like a little mini Indian temple. And apparently I was told on the Blackwater tours by Eugene, who was uh, who just knew the area in great depth. He told me that um, the Lord and Lady Villierstown had been to Brighton on their honeymoon and they'd seen the famous, um, you know, Indian, which is now some sort of county council building. But but it inspired them to bring that in that some and make something in that style back in Villierstown. So it's yeah. worth checking out and seeing. <laughs> It's amazing. Dramana Bridge is the name of it. Um, mm. So it stretches across the River Blackwater. It's stunning. And there's it links on to Dramana House then as well, which is an old stately house, which is perched up um, on the outskirts of the River Blackwater. And that, that has self-catering accommodation as well. So it's just such a hidden gem full of surprises. It's beautiful down there. Oh, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. And, and on the river, the amount of wildlife we saw was quite spectacular. And unusual, like South African birds. And I believe that's one of the new crazes that's come out of the, you know, the, the, the recent year with, with the lockdowns. People have started, you know, uh, ornithology, isn't it? You know, uh, mm. looking out and following birds. And um, yeah, there, there are some remarkable species down there. Incredible. And you feel like you could be in South Africa when you're in the boat going down the river. <laughs> you could be anywhere in the world. It's stunning. <laughs> Good. guided tours as well so people can get their picnic and they're taught how to, to drive the boat themselves and they can tour up and down the black water go down as far as y'all in county cork and it's a fabulous way to spend the day that's just as well i i wasn't given that option or i would have got off and i might to come back <laughs> so so, uh, so what plans are coming up now i was involved in your um uh, webinar recently and i heard about saint declan's way is that can you tell the listeners about that what's coming up yeah. so saint declan's way is um a pilgrim path that extends from cashel in county tipperary down to ardmore in county waterford so it follows the path that saint declan traversed years and years ago so a lot of work has been done by a voluntary committee over the past number of years to get the route ready and waymarked and signed um, and ready for visitors so we're hoping to launch it um springtime this year and hope to have it ready for visitors for the summer hopefully when things open back up so it's absolutely spectacular it goes over the mountains and then leads you into the the sea then in Ardmore so the views are amazing and there's great stories to be told along the way um cafes and B&Bs as well guest houses and accommodation so if people want to check out monstervales.com or stdeclansway.ie You'll find more information on that, but it's they're calling it the new uh, Irish Camino. So, oh, absolutely, yeah, no, no, and, and you know, I think it is worth just going to your website just to get your bearings because you take in such a huge area. I mean, around Mallow and um, up around Feathered. I remember going to the lovely Horse Museum there, and um, you go to the Michelin's Caves. Michelinstown Caves are included in it, aren't they? Yeah, there's yeah. so much to see and do, really, and. 
things that people mightn't be familiar with was say we've heard of the the Waterford Greenways and the Rock of Cashel um they'd be the more iconic ones but then the tourism attractions that are off the beaten track then is the Copper Coast down in Waterford so there's a few small businesses after opening up there in the past year or so so you can do surfing or foraging on the beach um you can do sand art and they have a fabulous eco park there and you can get guided walks around the area and learn about the history and Lismore, I believe you were in Lismore as well, Michelle. Oh, another beautiful town. I completely fell in love with it. And I was kind of, I should have, I should have organized to stay here because yeah. the castle is so great. And on a Sunday morning, I caught the market. I caught mm. their, their lovely farmer's market. And it's activities like these that I pe- think people will be yearning for, where they can be outdoors and do things and see things. And they were all farmers that with fresh produce and, you know, unusual crafts. It was, it was lovely. Yeah, and there's beautiful walks around that area as well. And in Lismore Heritage Centre, they're recently after opening up this new immersive experience. So you can go in and put on your headset and it looks as if it gives you the tour of the inside of the castle, which obviously we can't access, but uh, it's the next best thing you can oh, see. Oh, good. Of- yeah, no, no, I, I'd love to get into the castle now. <laughs> I'm going to work my way around that. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, great um, escape room that's just after opening up there as well, the Robert Boyle escape room. So visitors have gone. Oh, what was that? Escape room. What was that? Yeah. So you go in with this team of four. So you gather your your friends or your family and you go into the room and you try and solve the riddles and the puzzles to get you out of the room under the hour. I so was in one of these in Bilbao, I think it was, back uh, a few years ago with my kids. And it is the best fun. Because yeah. you get these clues and things jump out at you. And is that what it is? is that the way it works? Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't know you had one of those. Oh my yeah. god, if I'd have known that was that open last year, I'm coming down again this year to that tree. That'll be great yeah. fun. It's newly opened and it's very popular. So it's great to have these little hidden gems and and like is that in the heritage center now, Trina? Is that right? It's in the heritage center in the town. Yeah. Oh, super. Again, Lismore have beautiful little craft shops and cafes and again, all the local produce and local food and drinks. So it's great to be supporting local, which we know now is more important than ever. That is key this summer. I think we really have to support each other, keep each other going, support our little craft shops, our bookshops, our artisan bakers. You know, these are the businesses that will... That, that you know people don't realize smes make up the the biggest employers in the country they're always talking about the googles and the facebooks and the amazons but no the the, the, the biggest employers are the smes so that's who we need to support isn't it that's it and they're the lifeblood of our small towns and villages so we really need to support them if you think about it like they're they're the people who we might have got a summer job with in the past. They might take on our kids. They'll support the local raffles and draws. And, and their GAA club and everything. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, we do, we do. It's never been a, a time where we've needed to look after each other more. And um, I'm sure you'll have a great success this summer with lots of people coming down to, to visit as soon as we can travel again. Thanks, thanks, Serena. Thank you very much. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. If you'd like to follow my travel news, you can check out thenoveltraveller.com or you could read my new column, which is starting this Saturday in the Irish Daily Mail. We will travel again and hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. 
Next week, my guest is local, someone within my 5K. It's Mr. Ian Dempsey. Heard every morning on Today FM radio, and we had such a great laugh and banter. So be sure to tune in, and I'll leave you as always in the capable hands of Pat Coltrick and his lovely tune, Oreo Sunrise. Every time I hear it, I'm whisked away to Spain with a glass of wine in my hand. So thanks for listening, and adios until next week.